1. Acts chapter 1, the book of Acts is a very exciting book. Uh, it, is, it is all about really the first church, the, uh, the, the, the origins of where we came from. And uh, after Jesus Christ died, of course, uh, he went back up to heaven and he left the responsibility of carrying on the message of the gospel to those who are called by his name, Christians. And that's us. But it had to start somewhere and it started there in the book of Acts. And we'll just, I want to read through this passage First, before we get into it this morning, but it says this in Acts chapter 1 and verse number 1. The former treatise have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach, until the day in which he was taken up, after that he, through the Holy Ghost, had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them forty days, and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which, saith he, you have heard of me, for John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. When they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? And he said unto them, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power, but ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. When he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven." Well, Jesus Christ came to the earth, according to Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, uh, that says, he shall bring, She shall bring forth the Son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. That's why Jesus Christ came to this earth. John chapter 3 and verse 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. This meant that he had to give his life as a ransom for mankind. That was the, his one purpose for coming to earth in the flesh as a man. He was going to die for us. He was going to give his life a ransom for us. And salvation is complete in Jesus Christ. And as he left the earth, and I think it's so interesting, every time I read this passage, it just reminds me again that the disciples really just did not understand. You would think that when they, you know, of course, they, they had this idea all along that Jesus was going to set up his kingdom on the earth. And then he died. And now all these plans are thwarted and, you know, all of them left. Peter was the only one that stayed around and he watched from afar off and then he denied Christ three times, right? Nobody was left. Well, then they're in the upper room and they see the risen Lord. And Thomas is the first one to say, I don't believe it's you. I need to put my fingers in your, in your hands and I need to thrust my, my fist into your side and I need to make sure that it's you. And Jesus said, do it. It's me. You can see that it's me. And so now they have Jesus Christ, who many times told them that he was going to rise again from the dead. Right? He finally rises again from the dead. They see that. It's an infallible proof. This is the same Jesus that we saw put to death three days ago, and now he's back, and now he's alive. And they said, perfect. Now you're going to set up your kingdom on this earth, right? They didn't understand what he was talking about. They completely missed the entire boat. And while they're still trying to figure all this stuff out, a cloud comes down, Jesus steps in the cloud, and the cloud takes him up. I mean, could you imagine being the disciples? Number one, that's, I mean, we look back at it, and we think, oh, Jesus ascended back up into heaven. 
But if you had never heard of Jesus ascending back up into heaven before, and all of a sudden you see this guy going up in a cloud, and now he's gone after he just said, all right, time to carry on the work. What work? What are we, where are we supposed to go? What are we supposed to do? What's next? Right? And Jesus had told them, you go there, you wait. You wait for the power of the Holy Ghost. And they didn't know what the Holy Ghost was. They didn't know what it was supposed to look like. They didn't know what this power was going to look like. They're, it's almost like they're just, they're just left standing there. You know, we've got this giant thing that needs to be put together, and we don't have any instructions. Where do you start? How do you start trying to figure it out? But they had Jesus, and he had told them what to do, and so they went and they did it. But while they were doing that, Jesus went back up into heaven. And as he went back up into heaven, Jesus left seven things that he wanted them to continue on, or seven things that he left behind when he went to heaven. And that's what I want to talk to you about this morning from this passage here in Acts. Seven things that Jesus left behind. Let's pray, and we'll look at this this morning. Father, we love you. Again, we thank you for your goodness to us. Again, we thank you for an opportunity to be here. Pray that you give us something from your word this morning, and we'll thank you for what you do. In Jesus' name, amen. If you will, I want you to keep your finger there in the book of Acts, because we're going to be coming back to it many times, but I have a lot of other verses that I want you to look at as well, so maybe a bookmark or a ribbon or something like that. But the first thing that Jesus left behind was an unfinished task. He says this in, first, uh, in the first verse of Acts chapter 1, the former treatise have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach. His task was not finished. The Bible says in Luke chapter 19 and verse number 10, for the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. That means everybody, everybody that did not know the way, Jesus Christ came to point them to the way. Jesus Christ said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. But as long as there is one person that is unsaved, the task is unfinished. Turn over to Matthew chapter 28. I know you know this verse well. But as long as there is one person that has not heard that message, the task is unfinished. And that is what Jesus left behind. He left behind an unfinished task. He left the task to be finished by his church. Matthew chapter 28 and verse 19. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. See, the mission fields cry out, unfinished. The remote areas of every city and town cry out, unfinished. The people in your neighborhood cry out, unfinished. There's a job that still must be done. You may have loved ones who are crying out, unfinished. As long as there is one person that still does not know Jesus Christ as their Savior, then that task is unfinished, and we have a job to do. And it's a job that, that no doubt is going to take us to the end of our lives and well beyond past that. Are you actively participating in carrying out his unfinished task? We have a commission here at this church. If you don't help with it, much of it will go undone. We've been given the commission to share the message of the gospel with this area. This is where God has called us to be. This is where God has given us the task of finishing what he started. And that is sharing the message of the gospel. John chapter 9 and verse number 4 says this, I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. We're going to get to the place where, number one, we're either dead and we can't do it anymore, or they're dead and we can't share it with them anymore, or we're so hampered by a government that is, that is oppressive and, and persecuting against Christians that we're not going to be able to do it the way that we can do it now. I can promise you that in 20 years, we're going to wish we had taken the opportunities right now that we have to share the message of the gospel. We're going to be looking back at this time and saying, man, what freedom we had to be able to open the Bible and share the gospel. We
We don't have that freedom anymore. I wish we had it. What are you doing with it now? Are you using the freedoms that you have? You can lament all you want to that you don't have those freedoms in 20 years, but if you're not doing with it, anything with it now, then who cares if they take it away? Let them take it away. You're not doing anything with it anyway. That's the way that most of Christianity lives. We have a task. We have a job. We have a responsibility to share the message of the gospel. We are in the dark of night, and there's not much being done. Why don't you help? We need help sharing the message of the gospel. Jesus left an unfinished task, but also he left an unchallenged message. Verse number three. To whom also he showed himself alive after his passion, get this, by many infallible proofs being seen of them 40 days. Speaking of things pertaining to the kingdom of God, we have those infallible proofs. The message of salvation cannot be challenged. Oh, you go to the graves of a lot of other religious founders, if you can even find out where their grave is. Jesus Christ, they, have an they, they, they think they know where he was buried, but you can walk into it. You can, I've never been to Israel. I'd love to go at some point. But you can walk into the grave where Jesus was buried, and guess who's not there? Jesus Christ. You can walk into his empty grave and see that he's gone. And he showed himself alive by many infallible proofs. It's an unchallenged message. It cannot be challenged by man. Liberal, liberal theology and liberal Christianity has attacked this one area more than any other. Man has, has attempted to produce numerous other methods of salvation. But let me show you this in Galatians chapter 1. Turn over there, if you will. Galatians chapter 1. And I've got a lot of verses to share with you this morning. I, I know you can't turn to all of them or we'll, ne we'll never have enough time to get through the message. But this one, I think, is so telling of exactly what is going on in our world and exactly what happens with the message of the gospel. Galatians chapter 1, verse number 6, the Bible says this, I marvel that you are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel, which is not another, but there may be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. But though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. As we said before, so say I now again. If any man preach any other gospel unto you than that you have received, let him be accursed. He, Paul is making this point. There is one gospel. There is one way to heaven. And it doesn't matter who comes to you and tries to tell you differently. Even if an angel from heaven comes and tells you differently. This is the gospel message. It's an unmistakable message and it's an unchallenged message. Satan can't challenge it. The gospel lives on. We see an everlasting gospel in Revelation. In fact, if you want to turn over to Revelation, you can. Revelation chapter 14. Paul says this, though, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, and verse number 4, he says, And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. And by the way, before I go on, that's exactly what I, what I try to, to get across here. If, if I can convince you to change any area of your life, then somebody can convince you to change that area back later on. It's not me. It's got to be the Holy Spirit that does that convicting in your life. And that's what Paul said. I'm not trying to entice you. I'm not trying to convince you. The Holy Spirit has to do that work. He says, verse number five, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Howbeit we speak wisdom among them that are perfect, yet not the wisdom of this world, nor of the princes of this world that come to naught, but we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the world unto our glory, which none of the princes of this world knew. For had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Had they known what they were crucifying and who they were crucifying, 
and what message they were trying to, to dispel and to dispatch of. If they had only known, they would never have done it. That's what Jesus said. And Paul says, I'm not trying to convince you of these things. I'm not, I'm not out here trying to put a, a case together to prove to you that you need to be saved. He said the Holy Spirit has to do that work. But it's not going to be in the, in the wisdom of all these philosophers and everything else. It's only going to come in the foolishness of preaching. But he says this in Revelation chapter 14 and verse number 6. And I, I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach unto them that dwell on the earth and to every nation and kindred and tongue and people. What does an everlasting gospel mean? It means it's been the same from the beginning of time and it'll be the same at the end of time. And it'll go on well past time. There is no end to this gospel. It's everlasting and it will not change. Turn over to Revelation chapter 20. Because everyone who challenges the gospel of Jesus Christ will be in that number mentioned in Revelation chapter 20 and verse number 14. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And oh, I think this is one of the saddest verses in the Bible. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Is your name written in the book of life? Is your name written in the book of life? Because one of these days we're going to stand before God and he's going to go down the list of alphabetical order of all those people that have passed on, this, passed on from this earth. And he's going to look for your name. And if it's not there, what a sad, sad day. Whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. It's an unchallenged message. 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 15 says, This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Everybody ought to accept it is what he's saying. What a message. What a powerful, unchallenged message. He accomplished that because he died on the cross of sacrifice. He was buried in a borrowed grave, and he arose at the appointed time to live forevermore, and he bore your sins and my sins on the cross of Calvary. That's the gospel. Anything other than that is another gospel. It will spell anathema, which means accursed or condemned to hell, as he says in 1 Corinthians. Jesus left an unfinished task. He left an unchallenged message, but also back over in Acts chapter 1, verse number 3. He says this, to whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. He left an unquestionable love. See, no one can question the love that Jesus Christ showed when he died on the cross. He gave his life that you and I could live forever. He gave his body at the whipping post. He gave his blood for an uncaring world. He left his home in heaven. Could you imagine, could you imagine leaving just the comforts of your home? But he left the home in heaven to come down to this earth knowing that he was going to be rejected, knowing that he was going to be despised, knowing that he was going to be spit on, knowing that he was going to be crucified, and he came anyway. He gave his life for us. Can we not give our lives to him in return? Jesus loved us so much that he was willing to give his life. He left his, his home in heaven and he came to a world of sinners who were going to reject him. He who in love cried out to the Father, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Could you, could we, could any of us do that? Oh, you're getting whipped and you're getting beat and you're getting the crown of thorns pressed down on your head and the blood is running down and the spit that they've, that they've, uh, that they've spit on you. 
is mingling with that blood and the water is coming out and, and you have gaping wounds all over your body to the point where you're not even recognizable as a human. They've ripped your beard out. They've torn your flesh with a cat of nine tails 39 times. And now you're hanging in humiliation on a cross that was made for the worst of the worst of the criminals there in Rome. And as he's hanging there, one of the seven phrases that Jesus uttered while he was on the cross is, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. That is an unquestionable love that he has for us. And yet we hang on to the things that we think we just cannot get rid of. God, you can have everything in my life, but not that. God, I'll, I'll do this for you, but I'm not going to do that for you. He gave everything for us. Is it so much to ask for us to just give our lives to him in return? He's not asking us to die for him. None of us have been asked to die for him yet. He's asking us to live for him. And so many people, though Jesus Christ gave everything for them, are not even willing to live for Jesus Christ. What an unquestionable love he had for us. No one in this room that would do that for a world of people who don't care. Not one of us would do that. Oh, I, I love people, I would do that. I doubt it. I doubt it. Not the way Jesus Christ did, especially being that he was sinless, especially being that he came from heaven. He left the Father's throne to come down here for us. Love divine, all love excelling, the song says. Joy of heaven to earth come down. Fix in us thy humble dwelling, all thy faithful mercies crown. Jesus, thou art all compassion, pure, unbounded love thou art. Visit us with thy salvation. Enter every trembling heart. Unquestionable love. He died for you. He loves you. Jesus left an unfinished task, an unchallenged message, an unquestionable love. Number four, he left an unmistakable plan. Verse number eight. But ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. See, a witness is sworn to tell what he or she saw or experienced. Sometimes we get the plan wrong. It's an unmistakable plan. We're to be witnesses. We're not supposed to be a super salesman. We're not trying to convince people, attempting to persuade the person with our own ability. Man can't persuade another man to be saved. Turn over to John chapter 6. It has to be Christ in us. We witnesses to that which he has happened in us. That's what our responsibility is, sharing the message of the gospel, sharing what happened to me. Jesus Christ saved me. He changed my life, and I can't explain it, but he'll do the same thing for you. John chapter 6 and verse number 44, no man can come unto me except the Father which hath sent me, draw him, and I will raise him up at the last day. He says there in Acts chapter 1 and verse number 8, You shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and into the uttermost parts of the earth. What is he talking about to them? Well, number one, they're Jerusalem. That's, that's where we are to witness first. That's our surrounding areas. That's our neighbors. That's our coworkers. That's our family. That's our friends. That's our, that's our circle. That's your Jerusalem. We should be winning our Jerusalem to Jesus Christ. But he says, Judea, that's further from our home base, our surrounding towns, the Richmond metro area. We ought to be concerned about trying to get the message of the gospel out as much as we can. My, my burden is to start more churches in this area. We, we have a tremendous opportunity to start other churches out of this church. We need men to be raised up. 
That's why we're trying to train our young men to, 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 to serve God and to follow God. Some I pray that God will call into the ministry. Some I pray that will come back here and work for a couple years as an assistant pastor and then go start a church in, in 10 minutes away. You, can't, you cannot put enough churches that are preaching the true gospel of Jesus Christ in an area. We have 350,000 people here. We have maybe 70 in this auditorium today. You know how many is left outside of these walls? And I'm not saying that, not, that everybody outside of these walls is not a Christian, but that number is so small. We have a huge job in front of us. We have a Jerusalem to reach. We have a Judea to reach. We have a Samaria to reach. That's further out still. Starting other churches in, in our area. Getting the message of the gospel out in as many areas as we can. And then he says, and just in case you're not clear, go to the uttermost part of the earth. That's why we send out missionaries. That's why it's exciting to be able to send out Nitin and Neha and Johan to go back to India and carry the message of the gospel to the uttermost part of the earth. Most of us will never go to India. I'm planning to, but most of us won't. Most of us are not going to get that opportunity. Even, in India, even when I go to India, I'm going to be so hampered because I don't know the language. I don't know the custom. I don't know the culture. I don't know a lot of the things that, that, that they know because they live there. Send them out. Let them go to the uttermost part of the earth. That's our responsibility before God. I'm completely in favor of foreign missions. And if we neglect foreign missions, then we're neglecting part of the command that we've been given to reach the uttermost part of the earth. But notice that three-fourths of this commission is home missions. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. You look at where they were when he gave them this command, and that was their surrounding area. Three-fourths of what he gave them to do was to reach their area for the cause of Jesus Christ. I think too many, too many Baptists have the plan wrong. All of their missions money goes to foreign missions work. Oh, we want to send out 500 missionaries. And again, I'm not against missionaries. We have missionaries that we're supporting. But oh, what a need we have at home. Who will go to America? Right? I, I, I read this week that there are more Christians in Africa than there are in the United States now. It's not going to be long before Africa is sending missionaries here. It's not going to be long before, before uh, the Philippines. There's a lot, of mission, a, lot of, a lot of Christians in the Philippines. It's not going to be long before the Philippines are sending missionaries here. We used to be the lighthouse for the world. America used to be the ones that were getting the message of the gospel out and sending missionaries everywhere. Not so anymore. You know why? Because we've lost the churches at home. And the more churches we lose here, the less opportunity we have to train up new missionaries, the less opportunity we have to train up new pastors, the less opportunity we have to train up new servants of Jesus Christ who will go and take the message out. We've got to look at our Jerusalem and our Judea and our Samaria, and that's our responsibility. It's an unmistakable plan. And Jesus left that for us. Number five, he left an unshakable testimony back in Acts chapter 1. Verse number 10, and while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, you men of Galilee, why stand you gazing up into heaven? The same Jesus which is taken up from you into heaven shall so come in like manner as you have seen him go into heaven. If we could just get the professing Christians to look steadfastly toward heaven, our task would be a whole lot easier. Your testimony will either exalt Christ or it will shame Christ. There is no middle ground. What is your testimony saying about your Christ? 
What is your testimony saying about what you think about your Jesus and what he's done for you? Turn over to 1 John chapter 3. If you're looking for him to come soon, as we sang this morning, then you'll cleanse yourself. He says this in 1 John chapter 3 and verse number 3. And every man that hath this hope. What hope? The fact that Jesus Christ is coming back for us. Every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself even as he is pure. Oh, I'm looking forward to Jesus coming back. I want him to be here. Are you living your life as if he could come today? Because if you're not, you don't want him to come. It's the same way that it was when you were growing up and your parents told you to, to all right, here's your list of everything that you have to do. It, it needs to be done by the time we get back home and your parents get home and the house is a, a, a mess and you haven't done anything that your parents have told you to do and you don't want to see them when they walk in the door. That's the last person you want to see is your parents when you haven't done what you're supposed to do, right? And it's the same way with Jesus. Well, he's coming back. I'm looking forward to him coming back, but I'm right in the middle of the sin. Hang on. Don't come yet, right? Why would we live with Jesus like that? If you're not purifying yourself, if you're not living your life as clean as you possibly can before him, then you're not ready for him to come back, and don't pretend like you are. Because every man that hath this hope purifieth himself even as he is pure. That's pretty pure. That's pretty holy. That's pretty righteous. A person who doesn't care about the coming of Jesus Christ is not living a testimony for him. Christians, Christians live like the world will go on forever. You're sitting time bomb. It'll go off at any time. We're not, we're, we were never made to live like the world. We were never made to be like the world. We were made to be like Christ. We were made to be pure. We were made to be holy. We were made to live our lives as close to his reflection as we possibly can. And that means that we ought to be different from the world. That means that when somebody sees us, they ought to know that there's something different about that person. We ought to be able to tell that. Your testimony will be because of a love for him. Matthew chapter 22 and verse 37 says, Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul. With all thy mind, that's the kind of, that, that kind of love will produce a godly and a steadfast testimony. You love him with all your heart? Well, that takes care of it right there. But just in case, love him with all your strength. But that takes care of it. But just in case, love him with all your soul. Well, that's everything else, right? Oh, no, love him with all your mind, too. That covers everything. That means there is nothing that we should be holding back from him. That means there is nothing that we should be keeping from him in that purity aspect. It's what drives us to re resist the devil, to keep our testimony pure. You can lose your testimony in a moment of time. The Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 5, eight, 5, 5 and verse 8, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Now, most of the time, it's a lion that's laying in wait. You don't see it until he pounces. The devil wants to destroy you. He's not this little, this little goofy guy with a pitchfork and horns. He's not some cartoon character that's out there in, in hell, you know, stoking up the flames and, you know, laughing and joking and, and having a good time. The devil wants to destroy you. He wants to destroy your life. He wants to destroy your family. He wants to destroy your testimony. He wants to destroy every opportunity you have to be a Christian in this world. And he'll do it. If you're not on your guard, he'll do it. If you're not 
absolutely trying to live your life to be holy before Jesus Christ. And honestly, that's why so many Christians are so worthless for the cause of Jesus Christ. They're Christian, they're saved, they're on their way to heaven, but they're doing nothing for Christ because the devil's got them wrapped up by the throat and they just let them do it because it's hard to be a Christian. It takes effort to be on guard. It takes effort to be vigilant. It takes effort to be sober. And most Christians are not willing to do that. Jesus left an unfinished task. He left an unchallenged message, an unquestionable love, an unmistakable plan. Left an unshakable testimony, number six. We're coming to a close here, but he left an unstoppable force. Verse number 11, which also said, ye men of Galilee. Interesting. You'd think that Jesus would have left an army of people behind. You'd think that he would have left 50 churches that were already established and on their way. This is it. Hey, you men of Galilee, go spread the message of the gospel in the whole world. What a, what a task, right? What a responsibility. But he left an unstoppable force, not because they were men of Galilee, because they were some superhumans or anything like that, they had the power of God in their life. And anybody with the power of God in their life is an unstoppable force. Luke chapter 24, verse 49, And behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until ye be endued with power from on high. Look what happened. Turn over to Acts chapter 2. He told him to go wait for the power of the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2 and verse number 4. And we see this is kind of the beginning of Pentecost. But it says, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. God gave them the ability for people to understand them in different languages. What a, what a power that was. God gave them that ability. They spoke in their language and everybody understood it in a different language. And that's why these men marveled. How are, how are we hearing it in our language? I know these are, these are Galileans. These guys don't speak our language. How do they know what that is? This group of men returned that day to the upper room. And there with some of the other saints, they began to call upon the Lord in prayer. And we see in Acts chapter 2 where 3,000 people got saved. Now, this is something that most of us overlook. But look in Acts chapter 4 and verse number 4. We, we hear about Pentecost. 3,000 people got saved. They got baptized. They got added to the church. Look what happens in Acts chapter 4, just a couple chapters later, verse number 4. Howbeit many, the, many of them which heard the word believed, and the number of the men was about 5,000. You have 3,000 that get saved, baptized, and added to the church at Pentecost. Two chapters later, you have another 5,000 people that are getting saved. That's not something that men can accomplish on their own. That can only be accomplished through the power of the Holy Ghost. And it's evident that they had the power of the Holy Ghost on them. Acts chapter 5 and verse number 14. And believers were the more added to the Lord, multitudes both of men and women. We saw 3,000, we saw 5,000, now it's just multitudes. It's almost like there's so many of them, we can't even count it. God did that for them. God did that through them. The fear of man didn't stop them. We see this in Acts chapter 5 and verse number 28. Verse 27, and when they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest asked them, saying, Did not we straightly or sternly command you that ye should not teach in this name? And behold, ye have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine, and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Then Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than man. God gave them that commission. God told them what to do. And they brought him in there, and they said, Didn't we already tell you? 
Didn't we already strongly tell you not to do that? And now you've filled this entire city with this nonsense. Hey, what a, what a, what a testimony. Could you imagine if somebody came to us and said, what are you guys doing? You filled this entire city with the gospel. I would say, thank you, sir. That's what we've been trying to do all along. He said, hey, I don't care what you say. We ought to obey God rather than man. And God told us to do this. They took their command personally. Go ye into all the world. They weren't going to let some officials tell them that they, can't, uh, they couldn't spread the message of the gospel. We have to be careful here. We have the freedoms in this country to do the things that we want to do as far as sharing the message of the gospel. And we have a good testimony that we need to uphold and follow the rules about how it has to be done. But we must make no mistake that we're never going to accomplish anything for the cause of Jesus Christ, no matter how much we go out, no matter how many doors we knock on, no matter how many flyers go out, if we don't have the power of God on our lives when we do it. So many Christians get so discouraged because we beat ourselves over the head over and over and over. i got to get out there and do it. i got to get out there. i got to go, got to go, got to go. And we see nothing. And why is that? It's because we don't have the power of God in our lives. They had the power of the Holy Spirit on them. Back in Acts chapter 4, verse number 31. I think this is one of the things that we as a church are missing. Verse 31. And when they had prayed, when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and they spake the word of God with boldness. Honestly, I think you can, you can get a good understanding of where you are spiritually when it comes to how much you're willing to pray. Think about your own personal life. How much do you pray in your personal life? How much do you put an emphasis on being at prayer meetings here at church? We, we do a men's morning prayer meeting. We have three or four or five men show up. We do a prayer meeting on Wednesday night. We have a little handful of people show up. When they had prayed, the place was shaken, and the Holy Spirit filled them with this power because they were willing to beg God and ask him to do something through them. You want to know why, you want to know why the church is so powerless today? across our country, but even in our area and even in our church, we don't pray. We don't pray. We don't see the place shaking. We don't see the power of the Holy Ghost in our families. We don't see the power of the Holy Ghost in our church. We don't see the power of the Holy Ghost in our own lives because we're not willing to pray until the place is shaken. That's why we don't see God do something. It has nothing to do with how big this church is or how small this church is or how big we get or how small we get. It has to do everything with how much of the Holy Spirit do we have? How much is God using us outside of these walls? This world is dying without Jesus Christ. This community is dying without Jesus Christ. I'm doing a funeral this afternoon for, for, for a family that has no idea what the gospel is, and I can tell by talking with them. I'm doing everything I can to share the message of the gospel with them, but that's another person that died without Jesus Christ right here in this area. I don't know if he ever heard the message of the gospel. I don't know if he ever got a track from somebody that gave it to him, but I can promise you if that you had 100 people who prayed until the place was shaken and they had the power of the Holy Spirit on them, people in this area would hear the gospel and we'd see a whole lot more people saved than we are seeing right now. Oh, that God would burn in our hearts the desire to have the Holy Spirit's power on us. What a, what a need for this hour. We could be an unstoppable force the same way that ye men of Galilee, you small little handful of guys that are just standing there confused, not having any idea what to do next, other than to go and pray 
and beg God for his power. And here these men, just a handful of ragtag fishermen, little group of people that come from all walks of life, nobody would ever expect that they would pray and the place would be shaken and the Holy Spirit would come upon them and they would fill their city with the message of the gospel to the point where the people in the city had to come and say, what are you doing? Didn't we already tell you to stop? And now everybody knows about this. We could be an unstoppable force for the cause of Jesus Christ if we'd get serious about the cause of Jesus Christ. I have a lot more things to say about that, but I'm going to move on, skip through my notes a little bit, because I think we need to finish up with this back in Acts chapter 1. The last thing that Jesus Christ left for us was an unfailing promise. Acts chapter 1 and verse number 11 which also said, ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? Here's the promise. What a promise it is. This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as you have seen him go into heaven. When I think of this, I'm reminded of General Douglas MacArthur. When he was the commander and general of the South Pacific Theater, he was stationed in the Philippines. And, and during the latter days of World War II, General MacArthur's men had taken a beating and he withdrew them um, and moved them to Australia for a time of rest and retraining. And as he boarded that DC-9 before they headed out for the last time in the Philippines, those people looked to him as their savior. If you leave, we're going to be overtaken. If you leave, we're, we're going to be left to the wolves. And Douglas MacArthur made his famous statement as he was getting on that plane. He said, I shall return. I shall return. Several months passed. And one day, the people of the Philippines heard the roar of airplanes. And they looked up into the sky and saw that the sky was filled with American airplanes. General MacArthur had kept his promise. He returned the same way that he said he was going to. I, I know somebody with a whole lot more credibility than General Douglas MacArthur who said the exact same thing. He didn't say it in those exact words, but he said, I shall return. He's coming. He's coming back for us. Turn over to John, John chapter 14. John chapter 14, 2,000 years ago, Jesus stood on a mountain overlooking Jerusalem, and he said to his disciples in John chapter 14, and verse number 1, let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. No, he doesn't say that. A lot of the other versions say that. I was at a funeral, and somebody read that verse. In my Father's house are many rooms. I don't want a, I don't want a room in somebody's house. I want a mansion. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, they, there you may be also. I know the battle gets tough. I know it gets difficult. It's not easy being a Christian. Trust me, it's not easy being a pastor trying to lead Christians. It's tough. A, it's a tough battle that we face. But hey, Jesus Christ is coming back. And when he comes back, I want him to find me working for him. I want him to find me living for him. I want him to find me as pure as I possibly can be. I, I hope he finds me in the pulpit, or I hope he finds me praying on my knees somewhere. I hope he finds me sharing the message of the gospel somewhere. You know how you raise your chances of that happening? Do it more. Spend your life on your knees in prayer before God. Spend your life sharing the message of the gospel. Boy, what a great thing that would be if, if, 
if Jesus Christ came back and here we are doing his work. Here we are living for him. Here we are sold out for him. What a tremendous thing that would be. Don't be discouraged. One day soon, that trumpet's going to blow. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 17 says, Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. You know what he says in the next verse? Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. It's a comfort to me. This could be the day that the Lord returns in glory. And I hope it is. But are you living for him? Are you ready for him to come back? Are you pure the way that he wants you to be pure? Are you praying the way that he wants you to be praying? Are you witnessing the way that he wants you to be witnessing? Do you want him to find you the way you are today? If Jesus Christ came back right now, would you say, hey, this is exactly how I want him to find me. I'm doing everything in my power to be the Christian that he wants me to be. Or do you have to say, well, there's a few things I probably ought to get right. A few things I probably ought to change. A few things I probably ought to start doing. A few things I probably ought to get right with him. Hey, if that's the case, then do it. Do it. It's, it's easy to say. It's harder to do, but do it. Don't you want him to find you living for him? The, the, the farther along we go and the, and the more dark this world gets, the, the greater the chances that Jesus Christ could come back today. I want him to find me living for him. Are you ready for Christ to come back? That's an unfailing promise. If it wasn't so, he wouldn't have told us. If he wasn't planning to come back for us, he wouldn't have told us he was coming back for us. If he wasn't planning to build us a mansion, he wouldn't have told us he was doing it. I believe it. I'm holding on to it. I'm looking for him to come today. Are you? Are you ready? Do you know Jesus Christ is your Savior? Because if he comes back today and you're not saved, you're going to be one of the ones that's still here when everybody else is gone. But when you're gone and you meet the Lord in the air and you stand before him at the judgment seat, now we don't have to stand on the great white throne. We don't have to be condemned to hell if we know Jesus Christ is our Savior. But, oh, what a sad day that's going to be for so many Christians when we stand before that judgment seat of Christ and we hear all the things that the Bible says, the deeds done in our body, those things that most people have lived their lives for are going to be burned up and they're going to pass away and they're going to be gone. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. That's what's going to be left standing on that judgment day. If he comes today, will you go with him? Because if you haven't been saved, you won't. But if you are, are you living like a Christian? Are you telling others about Jesus? Are you living a holy life? Are you the Christian that he left us behind to be? Father, we love you. Again, we thank you for your goodness to us. I thank you for the passages that we have in the Bible and what a tremendous examples we have of just this small little group of disciples, just a few men of Galilee that went out and changed the world. These that have turned the world upside down as it was said of them. Oh, that could be said of us as Christians. Oh, that could be said of our church. We turn the world upside down. This is our world. This is where you've called us to be. Oh, that we could turn the world upside down for the cause of Jesus Christ. 
Oh, that we would be ready for you to come today. Oh, that we would be ready because we're living for you, we're serving you. We've given up everything for you to be as close to you as we know how to be. We've added anything in that we need to add into our lives to be as close to you as we know how to be. God, that every single Christian in this auditorium this morning could say that. And if not, and I pray that you give us the courage and the boldness to change the things that we need to change so that we can be ready for you to come back. Well, thank you for your goodness to us in Jesus' name. Amen.